0: Hey, dear listener, before we get into this episode, I want to invite you to a very exciting training I have coming up. If you are a therapist in need of CEUs and seeking to level up your trauma processing game, my friend and co-conspirator Dr. Kay Hickson and I are teaching the very first iteration of our class, Mentalization-Based Narrative Exposure Therapy for Complex Interpersonal Trauma. It's a four-day training coming up on April 8th, 9th, 18th, and 19th of 2024. This is a thorough training where you will be provided with a comprehensive framework for processing your client's complex interpersonal trauma through narrative, and you will leave being able to apply these techniques to your cases right away. It's also going to be really fun. Dr. Hickson and I are a good time, even or especially when we're talking about trauma. I would love to see some of you there. You can find the registration information at thekilnschool.com under the continuing education tab. And now please enjoy this episode. I'm Riva Stout, and you're listening to A Therapist Can't Say That. I got the idea for this podcast in late 2019. I had been in the field for several years at that point, long enough to work through the first wave of imposter syndrome. Experience my first episode of burnout and then bounce back from burnout. Get high on the grandiosity when I realized I really was helping people and changing their lives. Go through the second wave of imposter syndrome when I realized there were some people I really wasn't helping. And then settle somewhere relatively comfortable between confidence and humility. As many of us do, I had paid my dues in community mental health for a couple of years before getting out and getting into private practice, where we sometimes pay for our autonomy with loneliness. And as many of us do, I cycled between languishing and thriving, and private practice is still where I am now. When you've been in a field for a while, you start to get a sense of its parameters, the things you're allowed to say and allowed to think, the things regarded as self-evident truths that are off limits for questioning, And if you're like me, after a while, you start to feel really constricted because outside those parameters, a lot of things are happening, but aren't being talked about. And there are unallowable ideas and perspectives that might contain pieces of the truth, truths that if we confronted them might actually make our work better. I remember the first time I said something a therapist couldn't say. It was the last semester of my master's program. I was spending most of each week at a domestic violence shelter counseling women who had recently fled abusive relationships, two mornings a week at a local middle school trying to shape hormone-addled sixth graders into anti-oppressive agents of change, and the rest of my time in class and trying to fit schoolwork in around the edges. In the midst of school burnout, general overwhelm, and newbie therapist identity development, I had decided to try and spark joy by getting a new puppy, who promptly came down with pneumonia the day I brought him home, necessitating nightly sessions in which I had to turn on the shower as hot as it could go, bring the puppy in to breathe the steamy air, and pound on his chest to loosen up his lungs. I was exhausted. That day I was standing in the commons of my graduate school campus, shooting the shit with another soon-to-be therapist from a different cohort graduation was on the horizon and we were talking future plans and dreams of private practice i mentioned how busy i was how much energy my client work was taking out of me and i casually said something speculative about how i might balance my social life with my future career so that quote i'm not getting all my social needs met by my clients i remember the exact words getting all my social needs met by my clients, because at that my conversation partner recoiled, wrinkling their nose with visible repulsion and said something like, no, that wouldn't be good. It sounded mild on the surface, but in tone was absolutely bursting at the seams with disapproval. If you're a therapist or you spend a lot of time around them, or if like me, you live in the epicenter of passive aggression, the Pacific Northwest, you'll know what I mean. Immediately upon seeing their reaction, I knew exactly what cardinal sin I had committed. It was stating aloud that clients meet their therapist's needs. Admit that in any situation, your clients might meet some of your needs. Scandalous. Every therapist is supposed to know it's mandatory to construct the perfect nourishing complete life outside of work, fueled by an optimized self-care plan so that we don't enter a client session carrying a single unmet need of our own lest the client meet it and muddy the professionalism of our relationship. Money is the only need our clients are allowed to meet for us. You know, that stuff you need to live that doesn't have any complicated relational dynamics inherently tied up in it at all. But that's a podcast episode for another time. Many years later, deep in private practice, I look back on that conversation and have to laugh at the other student's reaction. When I'm working full time, I spend 20 or 22 hours a week with my clients. I know a lot of therapists spend more. Who else do we spend that much time with other than our partners and maybe our young children if we have them? If any of you out there are spending 20 intimate, focused hours with close friends every week, write to me and let me know how you're managing it because most of the therapists I know are like everybody else, hurried, harried, kind of isolated, and fitting it all in around the edges as best we can because that's the world we live in. That's the society we live in. Therapists don't have some special access to an incredible hidden network of loving community support behind the scenes. That's not our culture. So of course our clients are meeting some of our social needs, maybe quite a lot at times. And there are other needs they meet for us too. The need to matter in other people's lives, the need to find meaning in how we spend our days, the need to find self efficacy and competency. The need to see below the surface of things and get a front row seat to what's really going on behind people's facades. I could continue. There are a lot. And I think we sometimes try to skirt or distance ourselves from this reality by saying that we're getting those needs met by our work. But when our work takes place deep inside other people's psyches, when we make our living in other people's heads... The line between the work and the people isn't that clear. There is no work without the people. So there is this complex and profound exchange happening between therapist and client that is more than just the exchange of money, which again, is itself complex and profound. If we really look at it, honestly, we just don't talk about this much, if at all, because we are so afraid of showing people a picture of ourselves that doesn't fit within this rigid outline of what a good therapist is. So this is the kind of thing I was thinking about when I tried to start this podcast the first time. I wanted to challenge our stereotype thinking about who we are and what we do. The ideas that therapists often don't think to question, or at least question out loud. So I brainstormed ideas and got producers and set up interviews and was ready to go, ready to bust down some of these golden idols in our field and get to the real shit. And then the pandemic happened. It was March, 2020. One of my scheduled guests canceled because her city was going into lockdown that night. Another canceled because she got COVID. Therapists' caseloads were in free fall as clients were being laid off or otherwise recalibrating their lives. And I was three months pregnant and my husband had just quit his job, which he couldn't do remotely, to try to protect our family from getting sick during a time when vaccines were just a theoretical possibility and we were watching videos of the horror of illness unfolding in Italy and New York City. So a podcast about the internal dynamics of the therapy field seemed like a luxury that just wasn't relevant to the enormity of the moment, a moment that felt like it was about survival, not about analysis or growth. But then that moment passed. And for those of us who have so far survived this pandemic, life went on, albeit in a deeply changed way. Therapists' caseloads bounced back from freefall to become more overloaded than they've ever been. We became overwhelmed with trying to contain and hold the emotional fallout of this massive collective trauma that we have been experiencing with our clients in real time. I don't know about you, but grad school didn't prepare me for that. Nothing prepared me for that. And as that rigid outline of the good therapist has seemed ever more elusive and ever more difficult to jam ourselves into, these taboos, these cliches, these archetypes of who we should be and how we should be in this field... The things we're afraid to talk about, the things that make us uncomfortable to acknowledge and wrestle with, they started to seem relevant again, maybe more relevant than ever. In that intervening year and a half, I noticed something else happening in the field. Like many of us, as we have milled around our homes, waiting for the pandemic to end, I've spent a lot of time on social media since those early days of 2020. And during that time, therapist social media has changed. We've gone from a lot of fairly innocuous and relatively uncontroversial statements that therapists would dress up with colorful graphic design and post on Instagram to promote their businesses to a much more extreme and polarized mimetic discourse. We have people trying to debunk each other and then debunk the debunking and it goes back and forth like that. And on one hand, that's not a bad thing. The disagreements within the field are starting to be writ large instead of downplayed. There are people out there publicly challenging cliches in the way that I was longing to do when I first got the idea for this podcast. People are challenging the homogeneity and groupthink of the field. But the way these conversations are currently happening is shaped, profoundly shaped, by the social engineering of social media algorithms. We're all susceptible to that. It's not just our field, it's everything. Polarizing content gets more engagement. So that content gets promoted and people are incentivized to create more of it. And social media turns into an outrage machine because provoking people to anger means that they spend more time on the app clicking and viewing ads. The recent Facebook whistleblower stated this directly, that these companies are very deliberately explicitly provoking polarization and anger to promote engagement. So I'm troubled by the way this social engineering is shaping the discourse in our field in a way I really wasn't tuned into a year and a half ago. Not because I want to embrace conflict avoidance and stick to innocuous, uncontroversial topics, obviously not, given the title of this podcast, but because there are some disquieting implications of the way therapist social media has gotten caught up in this web of polarization and scorn and recursive mutual debunking. When we take extremely polarized positions, and by that I mean not necessarily just the content of our positions, but when we define our positions in terms of opposition to each other, we tend to become entrenched in our certainty. We become entrenched in our sense of rightness. And while I think it's important to have the backbone to take a position, hopefully an informed position, and stand behind it, the reality is that this is not a field with a lot of certainty in it. I think we're afraid to admit that sometimes. We're afraid it will undermine the value of the service we provide, undermine our importance, our relevance, and of course this is work we are all very invested in on multiple levels. But it is something we need to face because it's true. We know, or we should all know, for example, that there are deep problems with the constructs represented by DSM diagnoses. And that could be a whole episode or even a whole podcast series of its own. But today, I'll just leave it by saying that all you have to do is look at the way the DSM looked a generation or two ago, and you can see that these constructs are constantly being critiqued and changed or not changed in response to that critique and reimagined and redefined and thrown out. And it would be the pinnacle of hubris to think that the place we have arrived with the DSM today is somehow the end result or close to the end result of the attempt to catalog and identify accurate constructs of human mental health experiences. So that's one thing. Then we have the replication crisis in social sciences research, where a lot of what we have treated as fact about human behavior is being rightly questioned because the research that was foundational to establishing those supposed facts turns out not to be replicable. So that calls into question what we may think of as evidence-based, rock-solid information about psychology, about the brain, about mental health, maybe not so rock-solid. Then there is the very real possibility that a paradigm shift in neuroscience could take place that upends the way we think about the functioning of the brain and therefore about mental health and mental illness entirely. In fact, given the history of how science has unfolded throughout the generations, as more knowledge and data is accrued, I would say that a paradigm shift is probably more likely than not to occur at some point or another. So those are just some of the shifting sands upon which we are doing this work. That's where we're at at this point in history. And when we become fixed in these highly polarized positions in the field, when we get entrenched in that certainty that we are right, we are losing sight of the magnitude of what we don't know. And along with it, our hunger to know more, to push the field forward by venturing toward that unknown, and maybe even getting to know it a little better. Being too certain can put us out of touch with our curiosity and our humility, and robs us of opportunities to connect and learn. So while here on this podcast, we will still be taking on the taboos, cliches, and oversimplifications that remain so prevalent in this field, I want to center the nuance and respect and courage that allows the complexity of the truth to emerge. When we are opening a box and looking at things people don't wanna look at, when we are gathering the courage to publicly talk about things that we don't usually talk about, we don't get closer to the truth by quickly drawing a conclusion and then being on our way. The antidote to a soundbite isn't actually another soundbite. The answer to the problem of oversimplification isn't a counter oversimplification. The answer is to be able to tolerate discomfort enough to sit with the complexity. If we are good therapists, not the cookie cutter, imaginary good therapist that no one really fits into, but if we are doing good therapy, sitting with complexity is something we encourage our clients to do. And if we are good therapists, it's something that we're looking for opportunities to do more of ourselves. I'm feeling really excited and ready to be here, getting uncomfortable and complicated and messy and real about this weird, amazing, heartbreaking, transcendent, monotonous, impossible work that we do. There is a kinship among people who do this work, whether we like it or not, whether we like each other or not. Even from the privacy of our offices, we are in this together. So let's open those office doors and have some fun exploring the things that it feels like a therapist can't say. In my upcoming episodes, I'm going to be talking to some therapists about their a therapist can't say that moments. We're going to explore the realities of what it has been like to be a therapist during this pandemic. We are going to unpack just who this good therapist in our heads is anyway and where they came from and how that doesn't line up with who we actually are. We're going to speak frankly about what mental health workplace culture is like. We're going to talk about moral injury as therapists and how sometimes adhering to our ethical codes means doing something we find personally morally wrong. I think as you listen to these episodes, you're going to feel really challenged and I think you're going to feel really validated. And I know that we're going to feel the relief that happens when we make the decision to push through our anxiety and get real. Join me on A Therapist Can't Say That wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to share the show with a therapist friend who you know needs to hear this stuff too. And if you have an, a therapist can't say that moment you'd like to share with me, I'd love to hear from you at Reva at IntoTheWoodsPortland.com. Thanks for being here.